Merciful God, at this time we quieten our minds and our hearts. We ask that any distractions that compete for our attention, that you will just clear them away and focus our our hearts on the word that is about to be read. Bless the reading of it, bless the hearing of it, and bless the application of it. That as these words make their way into our heart, that they will take root there. And that they will somehow transform us and shape us and grow us into more Christ-like people. Bless this time that we have now in the presence of each other, in the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, they have take, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out and with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have carried him away. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is the time of year where students are starting to wrap up their school year. Uh, Seniors are getting ready to go off to college. Juniors are thinking about what college they want to go to. Some of them are applying. Some of them are visiting. And uh, the purpose of campus visits is for the student to see uh, or to experience firsthand what, what a college campus is like. 
And when students go to a new place, whether it's middle school or elementary school or high school or college or or anything, they are shaped by their experiences there. In fact, a lot of people later on will talk about uh, how great their time in college was, and maybe they'll root even harder for their, uh, their, alum, their, uh, their, their alma mater because they are a proud alumnus. But the reason they feel that way is because they were shaped by experiences. We are all shaped by our experiences in life. Experience is what gives color to life. All our plans, all our schedules, those are the parameters. Those are the black and white lines. But experience gives it all color. As we've been going through the Gospel of John uh, since the beginning of the year, we've seen that Jesus offers rich, real, deep experiences to the people here in the passages, but also to us. He continues to offer these real deep experiences to add color to our own lives. And as we see today and as we will see for the next few weeks as we go through the season of Easter, these experiences didn't stop at the cross. Jesus continued to offer these these deep life-changing experiences to people even after the crucifixion, even after his death, and even after his resurrection. We see Jesus time and time again at the end of this Gospel of John appearing to Mary and the disciples, appearing to Thomas. And in each one of them, he appears to them in a time of fear, a time of grief, or a time of doubt. This is very important for us. We can all relate to those things because as long as we live on this earth, every one of us will experience grief, fear, and doubt. And so for the next three weeks, through the season of Easter, we will be talking about these appearances of the resurrected Christ during those times and what they mean for us. But today we're going to talk about Mary and what it meant for Jesus to appear to Mary in the way that he did when he did. But one thing we have to remember is Mary, her world was shattered by the crucifixion. Jesus was someone she loved dearly. Jesus had transformed her life. We see uh, her washing his feet, anointing his feet with her tears, worshiping him, loving him while, while he's in ministry. And then he is crucified before her very eyes. She has lost her teacher, her rabbi, the one who has taught her to live her life again, the one who has forgiven her of her past. She has lost him in such a violent way on the cross. And so she gets up on Sunday morning. She couldn't do it on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. She gets up on Sunday morning and she just wants closure. She wants to go anoint the body. She wants to put the spices and the oil on the body because this is part of the grieving process. When we go through grief, we want closure. All of us want closure. And his body wasn't there. She couldn't grieve the way that she wanted to. And it was insult to injury. Some of you may may have heard in this past week of the Lemke family from Wisconsin. It was in the news. They traveled down for spring break to Fort Morgan, Alabama. And their 17-year-old son, Javon, went out in the ocean and was caught in a riptide. and was carried out, never seen again. The family 
called the Coast Guard. Coast Guard came and looked, and the Coast Guard called off their search because the waters were too rough to even continue the search. And their father was on TV speaking to reporters, and he said something no father should ever have to say. He said, I know my son is dead, but I really want his body. I want to take him back home and bury him. This was part of the grieving process. To lose your child is terrible enough, but to not have the capacity to grieve is something else. And this is what Mary was feeling in that moment. Her Savior had been crucified before her very eyes. And then when she goes to anoint his body, it is missing. And we see her, her weeping over and over again. It's mentioned four times in the span of five verses. It mentions her weeping. She is in deep, deep grief. Tragedy on top of tragedy. And then Jesus spoke to her. Jesus spoke to her, and at first she was so grief-stricken she didn't know who he was. And it's one of those things we know as the reader. It tells us that it's Jesus. And we're thinking, how could she not know? How could she possibly not know that this guy that she's crying over, that it's him standing in front of her? I remember when I was a child, I would watch those Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. And the only difference between Clark Kent and Superman was a pair of horn-rimmed glasses. And as a five-year-old child, I would think, how do they not know that Superman? It looks just like him. And it's kind of the same thing here. Mary is talking to Jesus, and you, and you have to wonder, how does she not know that this is Jesus? But she is so filled with grief. And plus, it's inconceivable. She saw him battered and bruised and beaten and crucified. It's inconceivable to think that he would be standing in front of her. That she doesn't recognize him. And then he says her name, Mary. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd He says he knows his sheep by name. He says, I know my sheep and they know my voice. So in this moment, when he says her name, it becomes real. And she knows her master's voice. And she turns and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she does what is perfectly natural. She does the predictable thing. She wants to run to him and hug him. If you've ever watched sports at all, If you've ever seen a championship game, a World Series, NBA championship, Super Bowl, it doesn't matter. When they win, what does the winning team do? They jump around and they hug each other like little kids. Because they're so excited, they don't know what else to do. And Mary, just like that, her deep, profound grief was turned to ecstatic joy. And of course she wouldn't have known anything else other than to grab him, to hold him, to hug him. That was the natural thing for her to do. But then Jesus says something very strange. He says, don't cling on to me, for I've not ascended to my father. Now, some people have taken this to mean, okay, well, maybe Jesus and his resurrected body, maybe there was something going on with his body that, you know, he couldn't be grabbed onto or whatever. I don't think that's it. Because as we'll talk about in a couple weeks, he tells Thomas to touch him. He tells Thomas to put his fingers in the holes in his hands. I think what Jesus was saying here was, I still have something else I have to do. You can no longer confine me to this world. 
You sat at my feet and you cried and you worshiped and you anointed my feet with your tears. But you can't do that anymore because my mission is so much greater. I still have to ascend to my father. And, and the thing is, when Jesus ascends to his father, when he goes and sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty, he intercedes for each one of us. And from there, his spirit can proceed and meet us in our times of grief. And so when Jesus said, don't confine me, don't hold me down, don't pin me down, what he was saying is there are many, many other people who will experience grief. And I have to appear to them. But I can't do that unless I first return to my father. Hannah Claire sometimes will get so excited to see me when I stop by her school for a special program or something. But when I go to leave, she'll grab onto me. She won't let me go. And it's, it's real cute for a minute. And then after that, it's really inconvenient because she has to go back to school and I have to go back to work and we have things to do and she can't keep clinging on to me. And so I imagine this is what Jesus was getting at. He said, listen, you have something you need to do. You need to go and tell my disciples, tell my followers that I am ascending to my father to your father, to my God, to my God, to your God. And why? Why is he doing that? So that he can be omnipresent, omni, omnipotent, omnipowerful, so that he can appear to each one of us in our times of grief. You see, Mary's joy or Mary's grief was suddenly turned to joy. And it was a beautiful thing. There's a song that's popular in our house. Uh, that we like to listen to, like to sing with when we hear it. The words say, it's going to be all right. Turn around and let back in the light. And joy will come like a bird in the morning sun. And all will be made well once again. A bird's song is never more beautiful than when it breaks the silence of the night. The sun is never fairer than when, it is dawn, when it's dawn breaks the spell of darkness. And joy is never, ever sweeter than when it interrupts our grief. Mary's grief was interrupted with this very real experience of Jesus appearing to her and giving her joy in the midst of her grief. But her joy was only the beginning. She had to go and proclaim to others He's ascending to the Father so that he can meet you in your grief too. So that he can bring you joy in your grief as he is seated, as he is seated by the Father, sending out the Holy Spirit, meeting you where you are. On Good Friday, we talked about this world, this life being a wilderness. The children of Israel were freed from Egypt and they were going to the promised land, but... They meandered in the wilderness for 40 years. All of us are headed to the promised land. But as long as we are living this life, we are in the wilderness. We are wandering. And there are times where life will be wonderful. And we won't feel like we're in the wilderness. But then there will be other times. There will be tragedies. There will be moments of doubt, moments of fear, moments of grief where we are reminded that we are in the wilderness. We do live in a world of shadows. But as we live in that wilderness, 
And as there will always be grief, we can know that the one who is from the promised land has already crossed that wilderness. He's already overcome that wilderness. He's already defeated the wilderness. And he is able to appear to us. He appears to us in the desert. He appears to us in the darkness. He appears to us in our grief, bringing us eternal joy and the promise of new life. And as he appears to us in our grief, with love, he speaks our name. Let us pray. Lord, we are so often reminded as we live this life that there is grief, there is pain, there is sorrow. And sometimes it is hard to find joy in the midst of our sorrow. But we ask for the grace to remember, the grace to see, the grace to perceive that your promise and your hope of resurrection is real and it is permanent. It has changed the world that we live in. And though this world may be a wilderness for now, it is also merely the path we must take into the promised land. And we thank you that you have already overcome the wilderness, that you are from the promised land. And as we go through our times of trial and as we go through our times of grief, Lord, help us to look for and help us to see you appearing to us, speaking to us. With our hearts, Lord, let us hear you speak our name. In the name of your risen Son, we pray these things. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 365 in the United Methodist Hymnal. That's the red hymnal. I'm sorry, 364. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you, I encourage you to come forward and share that with us. Oh yeah, we're going to take communion first. I think that would be a good idea since it's already been made and prepared for us. All right, please turn in your hymnals. Instead of page 364, turn to page 12. And I want to take this opportunity to remind you that the table that is before us is not just for United Methodists. And it's not just for members of this church. This is not our table. This is God's table. And everyone here is invited to it who repents of their sins. For if you read along with me, starting on page 12, read responsibly, you will see. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.